Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I'm your host, Erin Austin. My goal with every episode is to share information and resources to help you achieve the next level of growth in your expertise-based business. We all know generating income from our expertise is pretty easy. The challenge is in scaling and building a business that can run without you. Join me here every week to make sure you are building an asset that can be used to fund your goals and your legacy. Before we get started though, one little disclaimer, because I'm a lawyer. The information I share on the podcast is general in nature and is provided for information purposes only. It is not to be relied upon nor construed as providing legal advice or legal opinions about any specific issue or set of facts. Now, here we go. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I am very excited about this week's guest, Kylie Peters. Welcome. Thank you, Erin. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we have so much to talk about. But before we jump in, would you introduce yourself to the audience? Absolutely. Well, hello, all. I'm Kylie Peters. I'm the founder, executive coach, and business advisor at Rain 9. And we are an executive consultancy. And we help people develop the ownership mindsets they need to live the lives they love. And so this goes in two ways. So we really work a lot with women looking to make the leap into entrepreneurship. And we help them guide them through that process, as well as women entrepreneurs who are looking to build better business backends. Say that 10 times fast. And then we are also building training programs to bring to corporations and companies to help them develop entrepreneurial skill sets. So bringing the entrepreneurial skill sets and ownership mindset into organizations. I also have a podcast, Welcome to Iloma, and I'm a speaker. So, you know, if you want to hang out, let me know. Yeah, you do a ton. And I don't know how you do it all, (laughs) frankly. I assume you have an amazing team. They're the best. If you had to say, like, this is who I am primarily, like, how would you describe yourself? This is who I am. If you could only pick one. I am a fierce advocate of women. I love that. I love that. Well, this is the right place to be. Here, we believe that putting more wealth in the hands of women can change the world. And there's no better time than now to do that. And so we talked earlier about some things that parallels between the conversations that I have with my clients and those that you have with your clients about how we think about our businesses, how we differentiate ourselves, and some of the fears that we're having about how we inject more of ourselves and our humanity into our businesses. And I was watching a wonderful keynote speech that Kylie gave regarding differentiation and all things you described accounting firms with all things being the same, you know, same offer, same prices. How do you differentiate in that environment? And you mentioned the human element. And so I'd love to use that as a jumping off point because as an intellectual property lawyer, I am frequently getting questions, I should say, about how do I protect my ideas or how do I protect my methodology? Of course. And A lot of it is thinking that there's some magic in the ideas or in the methodology. It doesn't mean they're not effective, but somehow if I can keep them from everybody else, then that will be the key to my success. And rather than it's how you deliver that methodology, how you create transformation with that idea. 
I like to make the analogy between like a chef and a cook. Anyone can get access to the chef's recipes, but can you deliver the same, you know, mm-hmm. Michelin star experiences at chef, or are you just going to try to put something on the table, right? Mm-hmm. And so it really is about what we bring to our ideas or to our methodology. And so I'd love for you to talk to us about how you help people bring that. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, Erin, I think you touched on something really important and you talked about experience because it really truly is that. And the speech that you were talking about, one of the things that I really drill home is that we have to be willing to be human. We have to be willing to be vulnerable and put ourselves out there because that's truly our greatest differentiator. We could be identical to our competitor in the people that we serve, in the problems that we solve, in the productization of what we do. But it's how we firmly believe the work needs to be done. So one of the things that I talk about is your true specs. And that is what you uniquely believe to be true and necessary for the work you do to be successful for the people you serve. And that has to come from within. But it's been my experience that when we forget about ourselves and we're like, oh, it'll be fine. I'll be fine. It'll all be fine. Everything will be fine. We're just going to do the business thing. We're going to do the thing. It's going to be great. Everyone will win. It'll be a big win, right? No, it might be a temporary win, maybe. But the long-term play is going to significantly suffer if we don't define success for ourselves as individuals. And so that's a lot of the focus of the work that we do. We believe that in order to be successful in living the lives that we want, we have to look inward first. We have to define success for ourselves as human beings. And then we need to look at our work and align our work with our personal definition of success because our work takes up so much of our lives. I did some quick math the other day and it's like over 100,000 hours, a minimum of over 100,000 hours of our lives. So that for anybody out there listening is like working 24-7, 365 days a year, nonstop for 11 and a half years. Wow. So you can't tell me that 11 and a half years is no like, just chump change, right? That's a huge part of your life. So we really need to be clear on who we are and what we want out of life so we can be leveraging our work to help facilitate that, right? We all go to work. We want to make a paycheck. We want to live our lives. But like, there's a huge opportunity to increase the meaning and the purpose and the fulfillment and the output of the work that we do so that we can live richer lives. And when I say richer, I don't mean like monetarily. I mean, maybe maybe monetarily richer, but like more fulfilled, true, big lives. Yeah. I mean, there's many ways to define wealth, right? And it's not just in money and it also is in impact and flexibility and Mm -hmm. wellness and connection. There are all sorts of dimensions to it. And I wonder if you find as someone who works primarily with women, do you find that they have a more expansive definition? I'm just going to lead the witness here, a more yeah. definition of wealth than maybe we traditionally think about. That's a great question. And it's been my experience in, in talking to women. One of my favorite questions is, what do you want? And a lot of women don't know because no one's ever asked them. And then that breaks my heart a little bit and we dive in deeper and we figure it out. But it's almost never about the money. Yeah, we need to make a certain amount of money so that we're not super stressed out about it. But it is always about autonomy over themselves, all aspects of their lives and their time, because they almost always say, 
that their family is what matters most. And they feel like in working for somebody else, that all they're doing is is working all these hours and working so hard to help make somebody else richer, but that the impact of their work, ugh, there's nothing there, right? So that's why a lot of women that I've worked with that do make that leap into entrepreneurship, those are some of the factors. And we did a research study on this as well. So it's ownership of time, autonomy, and flexibility. And they want to know that what they're doing matters. Mm-hmm. Right. That was definitely played into the shift that I've made in my career. I made a career out of making big companies bigger. And you do get to a point where you're like, well, is this it? And it could be it. Fortunately, I'm no shame if that is yeah. it. But for me, I did want to see what other impact I could have, essentially with working with women and helping them kind of realize their own dreams of wealth. And even, you know, just talking strictly about money, we do know that money talks and it carries a certain degree of influence, right? Yeah. And so to have that wealth, so it's supporting causes that we care about and being able to support our communities and our children, our families, these are all things that we can only do when we pay attention to the bottom line too. Like money Mm -hmm. isn't bad, you know, it gets a bad rap, but they're all the good things that you can do with it as well. Yeah, there's so much good. And I firmly believe that as well, Erin. It's we like to say that we believe that when women make more money, keep more of the money they make, and they're more educated and making smarter financial decisions, they invest more in themselves, their families, and their communities, ultimately making the world a better place. So let's just get more money to the ladies. Make sure that we also are sharing financial literacy so that they're being educated with the money that they have. And I think we start to see some positive impact. Yeah, I agree. Preaching to the choir here. I love that. Yeah. So how do your clients know they need you? Like, what are they experiencing? (laughs) Oh my gosh. So many things. Things that I hear all the time are, it's not working and I just don't know why. Or I'm stuck and I can't name it. Or I don't love my business anymore and I don't know what to do. I don't want to do this anymore. How do I get out? A whole lot of those things. It's, it's a lot of broad questions. Yeah. I mean, they're big things, right? So a lot of the work that we do is helping people figure out what they want to do next and help them make that transition, especially in the world of entrepreneurship. And let me also just say, I love entrepreneurship and I'm totally biased towards it, but it's not the right path for everybody. And that's okay. Right. That's okay. If you're sitting here and listening and you're like, I hate entrepreneurship, that's never going to be me. That's okay. That's okay. Then I'm going to implore you to be an entrepreneur within whatever organization you are, because either one means you have to adopt an ownership mindset and you have to take an ownership mindset over your life and your work because you spend so much of your life working. And if you're not taking ownership over it, then who is? Yeah. It reminds me of something I read recently. I don't read a ton of stuff about being a lawyer, honestly. (laughs) I'm sure it's riveting. (laughs) It is riveting. But there's been a lot of scholarship about lawyers, in-house lawyers in particular, becoming more executive focused and becoming uh, kind of integrated as part of the executive team and not just kind of an afterthought, but how they bring more value to the table. And so they're increasing their own personal brand and learning how to become kind of an entrepreneur as a lawyer. And I think that is really important. And as certainly as 
the world becomes more intangible assets focused. Lawyers become much more integrated. I mean, operations are essentially about intellectual property, a lot of them. I mean, that's where again, 90% of the value in the U.S. is in intellectual assets. And so we can't, we have to step up to the plate and be business people within our companies, even as in-house counsel. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of opportunity there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you work with them, I know that you've mentioned some programs. Do you do one-on-one group, DIY? Like, how do you- How do we do it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we've created a framework we call the DNA of success, the definition and alignment of success. And Basically, we go through defining success for the individual first, and then we go through the same framework in aligning the business or the work that they do with that. So the four phases are purpose, defining your purpose, both as an individual and in your business or the work you do, time and energy, how are you spending your time and energy, how should you be spending your time and energy, what problems should you be solving, and how do you go about it, action, which is what do you want, and how are you going to make it happen on both sides, and then knowledge, what do you need and what do you need to know. And so we use this framework as a structure to do all of the work that we do. So we have done some one-on-one workshops. We're going to start petering that out a little bit. So if you're listening to this now and you really want a one-on-one, get in now because we're going to start pulling those back. But we've integrated this framework into a 21-week program that we call the Accelerator by Rain 9. And this has everything I think that an entrepreneur needs to know to build a robust business. And when I say that, I mean, We talk about defining success. We talk about your business model. We talk about aligning the work you do. We talk about making sure that your business is working for you and that you can leverage it. Then we get into all of the tangible things like accounting and legal and marketing and sales and social media and tax strategy and leadership skills and exit strategy and financial planning and operations and automations and all these things. And they're all taught by expert women small business owners who own their own businesses. It's on-demand content. And then we have a live Q&A every week. So we can actually ask tailored questions towards whoever delivered that content. We have a digital community, et cetera. So we've built out all of that to support women entrepreneurs. We've also taken this framework and we've developed what we call the Make Business Personal Workshop. So we deliver a series of workshops to help people align their company culture with individual personal definitions of success. And then we're also utilizing this framework to inform a lot of the work we're doing with our entrepreneur training program that we're bringing to corporations. So workshops, I take on a couple of one-on-one clients as in like coaching, consulting type of engagements, but not many. Mm-hmm. The majority of it is the entrepreneur training program, my speaking and workshops, and then we have the accelerator. Right. So to pull the curtain back on how you developed your business, were you always an agency? Did you start with partners? Did you start as a soloist and then had to figure out how to build and scale? How did you do that? Well, let me back you up to another life that I lived. So I used to own a digital content marketing agency. So I ran an agency called Brainchild Studios for six years. And so that was very much an agency model. We had full-time employees, part-time employees, and contractors. And what I realized, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of my learnings because we could talk all day about that one. I thought I wanted to build a huge team. And turns out that it took me crashing and burning to realize I didn't want that. And I also went through the hard learning lessons of if you try to create custom deliverables for every single person, it makes it nearly impossible to function long term. And the profit margin 
is really tiny. And sometimes you end up paying them to do the work. So those are some of the big learnings I took from that life. And as I built Rain 9, a couple of the things that I really wanted to focus on was I really wanted to focus on my IP. I wanted the whole company to build off of my brain because that's what people kept asking me for. But I needed to do it in a way that could authentically be my IP, but I wasn't the only person that could ever deliver it. And so that's why we've built out these programs in the way that we have so that I can still deliver that at scale. But I say that loosely because I'm not trying to do this to 15 million people. It's like scale for a boutique consultancy. And that being said, I have a couple of people that help me deliver some of the workshops. But I mean, right now we're a team of three client facing individuals and we've got a team of like three or four back end people that help to keep everything running. And I like it that way. And if somebody else wants to build a giant company and team, like, great, good, you do that. Go get it, girl. I learned the hard way for myself that that was just not what I wanted. And it was a hard learning lesson because so much of the information out there, especially for me at that time, and maybe I was just looking in the wrong places, who knows? But the definition of success was bigger, more, all of the things like bigger revenues, bigger clients, bigger teams, blah, 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 blah. And so that's what I was driving towards. And I crashed hard. And this is why I do the work I do now, because I realized, oh, I didn't actually want any of that. I wanted to be successful. And I thought that's what was being told to me was the definition of success. But what I came to realize was the only definition of success that actually matters is the one that we create for ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah, it'll probably be no surprise to you that as a lawyer, I have trouble <laughs> with that very thing of standardizing services and not done. It's not easy. Everything. It's very hard to do. Yeah. And so I've always had kind of the instinct of not dabbling, which is good practice to not commit malpractice. Don't kind of stay <laughs> yeah, in the lane, right? I would say so. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but you can. I mean, people do have very broad practices. Like people have a business practice and that is a lot of stuff. And they'll do that. But I've always gone like, this is what I do. I do commercial transactions, corporate commercial transactions. That's what I do. And, you know, that are IP based. And I've always really resisted going outside of it. But even within that, there can be a lot. Someone comes, oh, I just need this, but not that. Okay. And so I'm struggling with that right now to kind of stake out my services and not deviate from them. Very hard to do. And the other thing I'm finding that is content because I make a lot of content and someone will say, oh, can you come do a guest in my mastermind? And I create something just that. And I now have, I don't know, 20 different libraries. Yeah, a library of slightly tweaked presentations. And I'm like, okay. All right, Erin. (laughs) Can I give you some ideas? Can I toss some ideas out there? (laughs) Okay, here's a few starters. So in terms of your services, something to think about is create a menu. I don't know why I'm using this example, but like a hot dog (laughs) and you've got all the toppings you could put on it or not, Mm -hmm. right? You already know all those special things that people ask you. I bet if you were to go back and look at it, you'd say, these are the four or five things that 90% of people ask for. Mm -hmm. Well, if you create those as just like add-ons or tweaks, Mm -hmm. then it makes it a lot easier to standardize. You can create your contracts, et cetera, Mm -hmm. so that it standardizes in that capacity. 
but that might be something to think about in terms of the tweaks. And then in terms of content, I can't take credit for this. This goes back to my friends, Drew McClellan and Stephen Westner that I met through Agency Management Institute, but they wrote a book. Sorry, I don't know the name, but it's something about authority. And from a content marketing standpoint, and this is my recommendation, I somebody who used to run a content marketing agency, create one big meaty piece of content mm-hmm. and then slice and dice it and roll it out in small ways. So whether it's a podcast, whether it's a book, whether it's a research study, whether it's maybe it's a really robust presentation, but then you pull it apart and you put all those pieces out into the world in terms of social media and email and advertising, PR and all of that to draw traffic back into your big piece of content that hopefully you have a strong call to action on and you're generating leads. And then you amplify such as guests on your podcast or people quoted in your book or wherever it is, right? Then you make sure you loop those people in. So that's from like a content standpoint. Now, if you're talking about 20 different versions of presentations, one thing I would recommend is just identify the key topics you want to talk on and just build those Mm -hmm. and just do those, like those four or five or whatever it ends up being. And then you just are like, repeat, here we go. Maybe you put the logo, a new logo on it. It's like lipstick on a pig kind of thing. But it's like, here's the new logo and here's the same presentation. And now yeah. I can just not have to relearn everything. Yeah. Yeah. I do do a teeny bit of that where I'll be like, okay, you want me to talk about that? And then I kind of just, that's the title that I talk about what I want to talk about. It's like, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I found too, as a speaker, oftentimes people will say like, well, what are the topics you talk on? And so sometimes it's a gift Mm -hmm. to be able to say, well, one, two, three, whatever it is. They're like, oh, either that resonates or it doesn't resonate. Or could you also do this? And then that's worth a conversation if it's worth the conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) That is all to the, you know, back end operations of having a really firm process about when people ask, like, instead of Mm -hmm. just like, sure. Then I'm like, well, (laughs) this is what I do. How about one of these? And I, you know. But, you know, that's not an uncommon issue. I would say the majority of business owners, especially women business owners I've worked with and run into, have similar issues. And part of that is finding the confidence to be able to say, this is what I do, and then stop talking. Yes. (laughs) Right? Because what we end up doing is, well, this is what I do. But, you know, if you need something else, I could probably make that work too. And like, oh, you don't want to pay full price? Well, Okay, I can give you a 20% discount. That's fine. And then we don't run our numbers and we're like, oh, wow, I'm paying this client to do this work with the amount of time and energy it's taking me. Yes, yes, that is too true. I feel, I don't know if I feel seen or called out or both. No, I hope not called out because this is something I still struggle with sometimes myself. It's easier said than done. And this is what I work with all of our clients on is like, okay, honey, what do you want? What problems do you want to solve and for who? And how do you want to package it up? Because you know how to solve that problem. How are you going to do it? And this goes back to the beginning of the conversation, right? How are you uniquely solving this problem in a way that you feel is necessary versus the person next door? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not going to be the right solution for everyone. And that's okay. We don't have the capacity to take on everyone. Just like who? I wanted to mention that when you mentioned like bringing ourselves and sometimes it's very vulnerable. It certainly felt very vulnerable to me. Having been a big company lawyer where nothing, frankly, feels personal to being out there writing, speaking, here I am. 
that was a huge leap for me. And it's I'm tough for a lot of people. Yeah. To bring it and to not sound too much like a lawyer, but still be smart, but accessible. And so all that, like kind of figuring that out is. It's uh, tough. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons we've seen such a rise in the concept of personal branding mm -hmm. over the last few years, 10 years, yeah. maybe, because it's like we are all our greatest product. And whether or not you like sales, and I don't consider myself like I don't think I like sales, but we're always selling yeah. ourselves, whether you're an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur or whoever, you're always selling yourself. But the question is, what is the sales pitch? Mm hmm. And how much do you let people see behind the curtain? Like how vulnerable do you get where people are like, oh, wow, she's a real person and I know and trust her versus like, wow, what a narcissist who can't stop talking about themselves. That's a fine line sometimes. And it feels weird yeah. for a lot of people. And it takes a long time and maybe it never actually feels good, but yeah. it's tricky. Yeah. And the other thing I had to learn was that, that people want to know you. Like, mm -hmm. at first, I'm like, well, I just, I have a solution. So why do you need to know me? <laughs> like, They're yeah, like, yeah, I, no, I need to know who you are. <laughs> yeah. How can I trust you? <laughs> yeah. So that was a learning process for me as well. So I'd like to talk about the trend you may be seeing in this space. You know, we're coming to the end of the year. A lot of times we're kind of looking forward, making plans for 2024. What are you seeing when you look ahead? Oh boy, Erin. Well, I wish I had a crystal ball, but based off of my experience and what I'm hearing from people, for a lot of the small business owners in my sphere, 2023 has been a tough year. It's been a real challenge. And I think a lot of that has to do with the economy. We started the year, everyone was talking about this recession, then we got into the year and everyone's like, are we in a recession? And then we're like, at the end of the year and everyone's like, oh, it's still coming. Maybe. I don't know still live in this like suspended purgatory, please. Everybody's having a good time with that. And so I think what I'm seeing is a lot of mindset shift. Honestly, I think I'm seeing a lot of like, okay, we do need to go internal. We need to figure out why we're doing this and what I really want out of it. What are my real goals versus my aspirational goals? How do I find better balance and not burn myself out? Sure, we'd all love to make a million dollars a year, but do I need to make a million dollars? Like, what feels actually good? And like, and is that good enough for now? And not that I'm saying that I feel like people are getting complacent. I don't want to be confused for that. I'm seeing people just start to reflect more on what really matters and how to find better balance, integration, whatever word you want to use to pave a more sustainable path towards those goals. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that with a younger generation, you're significantly younger than I am, that there is a little more balance that people are looking for. Like I'm a Gen Xer and it was very much the kind of, I started my career in the eighties or money was king. I think was, was that the term? And that this new wave of kids coming out of school, certainly, and yeah. who are absolutely seeking more balance in their lives they value their relationships. They value experiences, not particularly interested in owning homes, apparently, or, you know, and so they just really want to enjoy their lives. And I like it. I want that for my kid. I have a 17 year old. I'm glad that that's the attitude that they have. They're just a kinder generation. I'm finding. So yeah, I'm very happy about that. 
I hope for the next generation that they encounter less stress mm-hmm. because I think I'm a millennial. Stereotypically, we look at boomers and the, we're in the same career for their whole lives. And then Gen X started to change things up. Millennials, we were like, where are we to have a lot of questions, right? We started questioning things and then everyone's like, well, nobody ever stays at a job for more than a year now. And it's like, all right, be kind. The world's <laughs> trying to figure out what we're doing here. Hold tight. But I think there's been a, this... What are the right words? There's been some kind of corrupt pride that these generations, I feel, have taken in the amount of stress that they can manage, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to our careers. Mm -hmm. And I think that is messed up. And I think these younger generations are shedding light on that. And we are all now in this position of unlearning some really unhealthy habits which just takes time. But the first step is to name it, acknowledge it, right? And then start to try to slowly decompress decades of built up stress that we've, in many cases, put on ourselves. In many other cases, society has put on us. It's just layers and layers. It's heavy. Yeah, it is. It can be. It can be for sure. Well, that kind of transitions us into you know, this is a very meta podcast is about female founders of expertise-based businesses that are growing their business to hopefully sell someday. And I know you are a serial entrepreneur, so you have grown and exited businesses. And so you can tell us about your exit, but also with your current business, are you thinking about selling it someday? How do you see that exit? And what would you think you would do next? What would the next chapter be for you? Yeah, well, I started my agency thinking it would be a lifestyle business. I never anticipated selling it. That's how a lot of business owners start. But to that end, I would say start with the end in mind. I started Rain 9 with the hopes that I could run this business until I decide I don't want to work anymore, that I can have enough flexibility with it, that I can build it to be whatever I need and want it to be. And so honestly, at this point in time, I mean, yes, we all exit our business at some point, I think I'm open. Like, I think by the time I would be looking to stop working and I really do love working, I love the work I do. So I anticipate that's a hopefully a ways off. Hopefully my IP will be valuable enough that it could be saleable. I also want to launch some like certifications and licensing programs, which would be great passive revenue opportunities. So yeah, I don't know. I don't have a great response right now. If I'm being super honest, I really just want to leverage my business to help me live the life I want. And I'm not planning on retiring off of the sale of the business because currently only about 30% of businesses that go to market actually sell. So I'm aware of that. And maybe someday, maybe somebody internally will want to take over, you know, and maybe I'm just the owner mm-hmm. versus the operator as well. And let me also just say, like, I think there's a lot of different ways to have a successful exit. But I think at the end of the day, it needs to be whatever you feel is good. It's not necessarily a sale. For me, when I exited my agency, it was really important to me to take as good of care of all of the people in my life as I could. And I felt like I did a good job of that. And that was good for me. We currently are seeing if our assets are of interest to anybody. And that might be an interesting asset sale. But that was what a successful exit looked like to me at that time. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, if we're building businesses, assuming we're building businesses that are impact oriented, 
and we want to continue to make that impact. That's not heavy for us. And so, so long as in their expertise, we're not literally carrying stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and so long as we are feeling good about it, we're making the impact that we want and we're being compensated for it. Is there this need to like get to 65 or whatever the number is and retire? It's just not. It's a different way of thinking about yeah. what the next stage will be. And if it, there's a natural breaking point, somebody else wants to incorporate you and you don't want to be an employee there, then there's mm-hmm. another challenge to go on to, to use our talents to make an impact. So I like that. Think of it that way. I think what I should also add in is I think for me right now with Rain 9, the way I think about an exit is more so my role in active execution mm-hmm. because I like to think of myself as a thought leader. Like I want to keep speaking. I want to write books. I want to do all those things. And I know that the business sense is like, that's smarter to do under an LLC, Mm -hmm. right? There's just a lot of business case for that. So it's like, I just want to leverage my business to help me do all the things I want to do. And my role in the execution might exit at different stages Mm -hmm. and morph into something else. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think that's exactly right. All right. So a couple of final questions, as we've mentioned, you know, wealth in the hands of women can change the world. And so we like to give shout outs and support organizations that help us create a more equitable society. And I think you have an organization that you support that you'd like to share with the audience. Yes. So the Women's Fund of Milwaukee, I'm here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. They do a lot of great work for specifically for women locally and we can continue to use all the help that we can get. Wonderful. We'll put the link to that in the show notes. Also, if we figure out the book you were talking about earlier about the authority, we'll put that in the show notes as well. I think it's (laughs) selling with authority. That might be it. And then I know that you mentioned your accelerator. I Mm -hmm. know you have, have a launch coming up. Do you want to describe it and talk to the audience a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So the Accelerator, we will be launching this cohort so that you get to go through this program with a group of other women. So you get to build that community and that support system. Um, We'll be launching it twice a year. So in January and in July. And for listeners of this podcast, we would be happy to offer you a discount. Right now, we are selling this program at $49.95. And this includes three one-on-one coaching sessions with my colleague and co-facilitator, Amanda. But we're happy to give you $1,000 off if you use the code H2, as in the number two, E podcast. So H2E podcast. And we'd ask that you register by January 5th, just so we make sure that we know everybody that's joining us for our January 16th kickoff date. That is wonderful. Incredibly generous. Thank you so much, Kylie. And I hope, yeah, that we get uh lot from that. So where can people find you? Oh, you know, the internet. You can learn more about me at kyliepeters.com, K-I-L-E-Y, peters.com. You can learn more about my business at rain9, R-A-Y-N-E-I-X.com. It's the Roman numeral nine. And you can also find us on LinkedIn and Instagram. That is wonderful. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming, sharing your wisdom, great insights. Very generous offer and for your time. Thank you, Kylie. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Do not forget to check out the show notes for links to connect with today's guest and for the resources, offers, and organizations that we discussed. 
You can also find the links at hourlytoexit.com backslash podcast. If you got value from this episode, please subscribe. And I'd be so grateful for a review. I'm here to support your journey.